Tonight, the European Union does a massive trade deal with Donald Trump, cutting tariffs. Why can't we do that? It's July 26th, and you're watching The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign, and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government for why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Donald Trump doesn't like the European Union, and by that, I mean the political structure, the mini United Nations that has riveted itself to 28 different democracies there. I'm sure Trump loves Europe itself and individual countries, but not the EU. We know this because Trump supported Brexit, the referendum by which the United Kingdom voted to leave the European Union, even though two years later, the deep state over there hasn't permitted that exit to take effect. And when Trump was visiting the UK earlier this month, he wasn't shy about giving Theresa May some tough talk about how to get out. I did give uh, Theresa, who I like, mm. uh, I did give her my views on what she should do and how she should negotiate. Mm -hmm. um, and she didn't follow those views. I would, I would actually say she probably went the opposite way. If you really look, she probably went the opposite way. That's fine. You know, she should negotiate the best way she knows how. <laughs> now, so you'd think that Donald Trump and the European Union would get along terribly, right? I mean, he openly mocks them. Can I show you one more clip? Now, this isn't from the EU. This is from NATO. But there's a lot of overlap, right? So here's Trump meeting at NATO headquarters last month. Yeah, you've seen this clip. And he just blasts the Europeans, same countries for shirking on their fair share of military spending and for buying their energy from Russia, which is a paradox because, of course, that is the mighty enemy in which, against which NATO was created. Remember this? Well, I have to say, I think uh, it's very sad when Germany makes a massive oil and gas deal with Russia where you're supposed to be guarding against Russia and Germany goes out and pays billions and billions of dollars a year to Russia. So we're protecting Germany, we're protecting France, we're protecting all of these countries. And then numerous of the countries go out and make a pipeline deal with Russia. Oh, remember that? He went on for a long time. It was great. Let me show you one more thing. Do you, do you know who the president of the European Union is? Of course not. Nobody does. Because nobody gets to elect him. And there's another reason. There are actually several presidents of the EU. I know that sounds nuts. You've got the president of the European Parliament. His name is Antonio Tajani, if I'm saying that right. He's from Italy. Never heard of him? No one else has either. Don't feel bad. I bet most Italians have never heard of him. And then there's this guy, the president of the European Council. That's Donald Tusk from Poland. And then there's the president of the Council of the European Union uh, that's actually rotated amongst the member countries every six months. So right now it's actually the democratically elected Austrian chancellor Sebastian Kurz. Now, he'll be gone pretty soon. I mean, can you even actually get to know a job in six months? It's sort of a joke, really, as the whole EU is. But probably the real leader of the EU is this guy with the unfortunate name Jean-Claude Juncker. He's the president of the European Commission. There are a few more presidents, but I'll stop boring you with all their presidents. But can I show you a video that I think sums this all up? These anonymous, interchangeable European bureaucrat politicians. This is actually the very first video I ever saw of Nigel Farage. First time I ever heard of him. Former leader of the UKIP parties, you know, who is in the European Parliament. He was having a go at another European president named Herman Van Rompuy. And this is a bit tough and a bit thrilling to watch. And I'd like to play it for you for, for 90 seconds. Take a look at this. You have the charisma of a damp rag and the appearance of a low-grade bank clerk. And the question that I want to ask, the question that I want to ask, that we're all going to ask, is who are you? I'd never heard of you. Nobody in Europe had ever heard of you. I would like to ask you, President, who voted for you? And what mechanism? Oh, I know democracy is not popular with you lot. And what uh, mechanism do the peoples of Europe have Mr. to remove President. you? Is this European democracy? Well, I, I sense, uh, I sense well, though, that you're competent and capable and dangerous. And I have no doubt that it's your intention 
to be the quiet assassin of European democracy and of the European nation-states. You appear to have a loathing for the very concept of the existence of nation-states. Perhaps that's because you come from Belgium, which of course is pretty much a non-country. But since you took over, we've seen Greece reduced to nothing more than a protectorate. Sir, you have no legitimacy in this job at all, and I can say with confidence that I can speak on behalf of the majority of the British people in saying we don't know you, we don't want you, and the sooner you're put out to grass, the better. Isn't that great? Not only is that true and fun and slightly painful to watch, but remember that Nigel Farage and Donald Trump are friends, right? Trump even mused about having some sort of official role for Farage. I have no doubt that Farage is a trusted source of information and views for Trump. So you can imagine Trump's loathing for the EU as an institution if his best pal in the UK is that guy, Farage. Trump engages in rhetorical flourishes and insults too, but he's much more a New York City brawler than that British debate club champ that you saw in Farage. And look at the current president of the EU, Junker, which rhymes just by coincidence with the word drunker. I'm sorry to be mean, but check this out. Look at that guy. Now, I don't know, you might be thinking, well, maybe he's just having ambulatory problems. I mean, maybe he just has problems walking. No, no, hang on a second, I'll show you another clip of him. <laughs> I mean, getting drunk, slapping people in the face. He's famous for having cognacs with breakfast. Like, look at this, look at this. He's just meeting people, making Thai jokes. He's about to slap a face. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's, uh, that's the president of the European Union. Um, yeah, he's, he, he likes to drink. I mean, let's stop being mean to him, I guess, but I just want you to know that that is the leader of the European Union. Um, but, uh, but back to Trump. Underneath all of Trump's blistering insults or his over-the-top praise, Donald Trump is a negotiator. He's a deal maker, even with people he doesn't like. Look at how Trump has dealt with Kim Jong-un of North Korea. He goes from insulting him as little rocket man to praising him as a great leader, whatever it takes to get a deal, and in this case, to disarm a rogue nuclear state. Makes sense. Trump hates the New York Times, owned by Mexican billionaire Carlos Slim. Trump hates the Times. Trump mocks Slim. But then Slim bent the knee and he called up Donald Trump and said, can we meet and figure things out? And look at how Trump handled that. He wrote, yes, it is true. Carlos Slim, the great businessman from Mexico, called me about getting together for a meeting. We met. He is a great guy. Now, I think they still hate each other, but that's the thing about Donald Trump. He will meet with anyone to try to make a deal with anyone if it advances his interests. And for the past 550 days, that means advancing America's interests. And so it was with John Claude Drunker. It doesn't matter that Donald Trump probably hates him as much as Nigel Farage does. It doesn't matter that we know for a fact Trump hates the EU. Trump has a mission, advance America's trade interests. He was threatening the European Union with huge tariffs and other sanctions because they exclude U.S. goods and services. And more to the point, Trump has proven that he's not bluffing when it comes to a trade war. Not only has he been talking about fighting back with tariffs for decades, but he's done it, taking on mighty China. So Junker and the rest of the milquetoast bureaucrats at the EU, probably risk averse, probably nervous Nellies when they see Trump, who they surely despise too, who they think is a wild cowboy, erratic, dangerous. He comes up and says, open up your countries to American goods or we will block your European goods from America. And they believe his threat. The whole anti-Trump media, the whole anti-Trump commentariat, they were saying to Trump, don't do it, don't threaten a trade war, don't bring in tariffs, that will hurt us all. And of course they're right. Trump cutting back trade with Europe would hurt everyone, but it would hurt Europe much, much more than it would hurt America that's having a surging economy right now. And so the Europeans blinked. They blinked. And they didn't, you know, they, they didn't cave into America. It was bilateral. It was symmetrical. Both sides will now have freer trade. It's truly what Trump talks about, a level playing field. Yeah, they reduced more barriers because they had more barriers, but it's equal access for both sides. Amazing. Here, watch this. 
Already today, the United States and the European Union have a $1 trillion bilateral trade relationship, the largest economic relationship anywhere in the world. We want to further strengthen this trade relationship to the benefit of all American and European citizens. This is why we agreed today, first of all, to work together towards zero tariffs, zero non-tariff barriers, and zero subsidies on non-auto industrial goods. Thank you. Well, the stock market surged in the wake of that announcement. They were nervous about a trade war. They're, they're celebrating this trade deal. Record highs for the Dow Jones. And look at this hilarious picture of Junker kissing Trump. I don't know if he, he was drunk or sober, maybe a bit of both. Maybe just relieved that he's not in a fight with Trump. Junker kissed Trump. And Trump thought it was a funny enough moment that he tweeted it. Look what he wrote. It, it is funny. He said, obviously, the European Union is represented by Junker. And the United States, as represented by yours truly, love each other. Tell me that's not funny. Tell me that's not funny. That is funny. I wonder what Nigel Farage thinks of that. Trump has the best of all worlds. He gets to insult the European when he wants to. He gets a trade deal from them when he wants to. He gets the photo op to Nigel Farage so far. I like Nigel Farage, but he only has one of those three. America first. Hey, can we get a bit of that? You know, can we get a bit of the Canada first action? As if maybe Justin Trudeau could get a deal with Trump too. We are far more reliant on the U.S. market than the Europeans are. We are far more vulnerable to a trade war with Trump than the Europeans are. Trump specifically has threatened our auto sector with a 20% tariff that would kill 160,000 jobs in Ontario almost immediately, say the Canadian banks. So why doesn't Trudeau just go down to the White House like Junker did, swallow his pride like Junker did, and get a deal with Trump like John claude Junker did? You know that Junker hates Trump. We know, of course, he does. He's a European. But he feared Trump more than he hated Trump, so he got a good deal for the EU. In what, one day? Do you think that's possible with Trump? Of course it's possible with Trump. He's a Manhattan property developer. He moves fast. It's Trudeau's fault that we don't have a deal now. Remember these headlines for six months? Trudeau pushed demands on Trump that NAFTA have all sorts of weird inclusions like feminism and global warming, things that don't belong in a trade treaty, things that he knew, things that he knew Trump wasn't interested in, things that were just for Trudeau's own virtue signaling back home. So we don't have a deal with Trump. Trudeau's being passive aggressive about it. He's picking fights with Trump. Gerald Butts, Trudeau's principal secretary, has more or less admitted in this tweet that they want to fight with Trump to use it as a 2019 re-election tactic. Vote for us. We hate the evil Trump. Imagine sacrificing 160,000 Ontario jobs just for a campaign slogan. That's Trudeau and Butts. But look at what Mexico's doing. So Europe got their deal. Now Mexico has a new president. Did you know that? He's a radical leftist. Let me pronounce his name. Andres Manuel López Obrador. You know Trump's views on Mexico. You know that other than China, it's the country he's most upset with when it comes to trade and immigration. But Trump is an opportunist in the best meaning of that word. He looks for opportunity. He just went from war to peace and a kiss with Junker in, what, 24 hours? And now with a new Mexican president, Trump sees a new opportunity, just like he's trying to go from war to peace with North Korea, though that is obviously much more serious. Look at this. Congratulations to Andres Manuel López Obrador on becoming the next president of Mexico. I look very much forward to working with him. There is much to be done that will benefit both the United States and Mexico. Hey, talk about turning over a new leaf, am I right? That's Trump for you. Now look at this headline. Look at this. So this is a week ago. Trump says U.S. may have separate trade deal with Mexico. And then underneath, can you see it there? It says, NAFTA ministers said to meet in Washington later this month. Trump says relationship with new Mexican president is great. Isn't that amazing? And then this news. Just five days later, look how fast things are moving. This headline, Mexico wants August NAFTA deal as Trump vows dramatic action. An agreement would let next president focus on domestic issues. Negotiations set to pick up this week with Washington meetings. Do you see how fast they're moving? Trump sees an opportunity. New Mexican president, new chance. They're moving so quickly. Trump wants a deal with Mexico in August. August starts next week. And why not? He got a deal with Junker. So that's Mexico. In Canada, our prime minister is still on holidays. Do you see that? It says personal days. He's still on holidays. He's been on holidays for a week. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about a mass murder in Toronto. He doesn't care about a trade deal with the U.S. 
Everyone in the world is getting their trade deal with Trump, and they're good trade deals. They're good deals. And by the way, Trump offered such a deal to Trudeau. He said it in the form of a laugh the moment he sat down with Trudeau at the G7 summit. But it's not a joke. It's pretty much the deal that Junker just took. Remember this? Justin has agreed to cut all tariffs and all trade barriers between Canada and the United States. That got a laugh, but I'm sorry, what's so funny about that? Isn't that what free trade means? Don't we actually have a free trade deal with the U.S. right now? Isn't Trump in jest offering something to us that's amazing, free access to their huge market, the most important market in the world? Don't we need that right now just to keep our auto industry, for example? Why, why wouldn't Trudeau have responded, well, let's have a deal. Let's do a deal. Trudeau could have said, deal. Let's have the lawyers write it up and Donald, let's just hang out and have fun in Quebec for the next day. He could have said that and it would have happened. Why, why didn't we say yes? Why, why, why didn't we take the yes there? That's exactly what Trump and the EU are doing. Zero tariffs. So why was that taken as a joke? The European Union has already agreed to buy a lot more U.S. agriculture and U.S. liquefied natural gas, or LNG. It's winning, winning, winning all the way. Well, why can't we get a deal? I know why. Because Gerald Butts wants to fight. And because Justin Trudeau wants to protect the Quebec dairy cartel. But Junker just took the same deal. And I bet Mexico will take it too. And who knows what will come out of Donald Trump's negotiations with Russia. I don't know. Canada is being run by a man-child in Justin Trudeau who's being manipulated by an extreme ideologue in Gerald Butts. Trump is getting his deals. He's a deal maker. He's working on a deal with North Korea. He got a better deal from NATO. They're spending more money on the military now. He just got a huge EU trade deal. He'll get his Mexico deal, I bet, with people who hate him and people who he surely hates in return, but he's a grown-up. In Manhattan property deals, you deal with people you hate all day long, and you make billions of dollars if you can do it. Donald Trump is making trillion-dollar deals now for Americans and for others, too. I am sorry to make this prediction. We're going to screw it up. Canada's going to screw it up. Justin Trudeau's going to screw it up. The whole world is about to get better because of these deals, these trade deals, the whole world. But our petty little prince is keeping Canada out of those deals. What a shame. Stay with us for more. You shut your lips no, right now and I listen. We are all We are not here, going to be to... told by white trash what to do anymore. Okay. That is for sure. You're talking to I've us, been nothing but and respectful. we are working oh, no, to I, build I, relations with our neighbors. Take off. I will be. I you have to... no right here. I have every right. You here. don't. You don't have any right. Of course I do. Let me see your Indian status card. I don't need. Let me see your Indian status card. Show you my card. Then you don't have that right. Now take country. off. No, sir. That's not take how off. it works. That's, that's, that's how it works. If you're not take on off. your best behavior, you have to leave. We're that's not, not here to agitate. Take off. None of that is. We're take off. Opinions are not. Take off. We're not here to agitate you, sir. Don't touch me. We're not hey, here to agitate you. Touching you. Me with I didn't your, touch you. You're touching me with your violent presence. No, you don't need to do that. Yeah, I do. No, well, that's not necessary. Yeah, you're filming us without consent. You can leave. This is. So, well, oh I'm going to be back. Hey, you! Don't f touch me! No, you get no, it. Don't f touch me! Okay. You guys, it's time to go. It's time to go. It's time to go. I literally came here to take photos. That disgraceful scene happened in Burnaby, BC at the illegal slum shantytown by professional actors and other paid protesters against the Kinder Morgan pipeline expansion. Not only are they super gross, and as you can see, they're racist, calling Andrew Mann white trash, uh, making racial demands that he prove his Aboriginal status before standing on the public road. It looks like they assaulted uh, the person holding the camera. We'll talk to Andrew in a minute about this. But they're all in contravention of an order by the public, uh, by the by the Burnaby municipality, to vacate their illegal shantytown. Well, joining us now is Andrew Mann, the person in that video. He's with Suits and Boots, and he joins us now. Andrew, nice to meet you. Um, tell me a little bit more about what we saw there. Who was holding the camera? What happened when they were jostled? Give us a few more facts. Yeah, all right. So the main fact I want to start off with, Ezra, is that 
I didn't go up there as a, well, they didn't know I was a Suits and Boots supporter when I was up there. What Suits and Boots first? Let me stop you right there. It sounds great. Yeah. Okay, so Suits and Boots is great. Suits and Boots is a um, non-for-profit resource, pro-resource lobbying group. We are out and about trying to garner support for our resource sector in Canada and trying to counter the, uh, the protesters that seem to be getting away with far too much aggression, that seem to be getting away with it just they they have they're getting leeway from the media and from the, the politicians to do essentially what they want when they want and suits and boots we just decided it was about time that somebody stood up for the working man the jobs and the resource sector and that's our job so are you the suit side or the boot side i'm the boot side if you uh looking behind me here you can see a blank white wall and i'm just sitting in a little corner on our job site right now well thanks very much so you're, are you an electrician is that uh, your background I'm an electrician, yes, sir. Right on your working man, and there'd be a lot of jobs that would come from any of these construction projects. They're multi-billion dollar shovel-ready uh, construction projects. It's incredible that they're blocked by some hippies. So you went up there, and you were very well behaved, at least in the clip I saw. You did not swear. You were not antagonistic. You were not physical. All the things that happened to you, tell me a little bit more about what they said and did, and who was it holding the camera? Was that, was that your wife? That was my fiance holding the camera, actually. And it sounds like she looked like she was pushed. Was she pushed? Yes, she was pushed. Uh, you can hear at the end of the video, I, uh, I came down with the thun most thunderous voice I think I could muster up saying, you stay away from her, you don't touch her. And that's because, well, they touched her. And you know, as, as the man in that relationship, it's my job to jump in and ensure her safety. And that's exactly what I did. Well, you're exactly right. And it's, uh, it's telling to me that they didn't have the courage to push you around. I mean, they came right in your face. That was pretty gross. And I think he brushed up against you. But classic Antifa move, classic alt-left cowards, they go after the woman. It, just, it always happens. They've done it to our reporters, too. Sheila Gunn-Reed, uh, when Lauren Southern was with us, Faith Goldie. Uh, they always beat up or try to beat up the women. I think it, it says a lot about them, doesn't it? I couldn't tell you why they do that, but you're correct. It seems they go for the easy target, the low-hanging fruit. Uh, Victoria is five feet tall. I'd be surprised if she weighed over 100 pounds. She is the easiest target you could find. And um, it, the protesters after the video cutout told me to go back to my car with my underage girlfriend. Well, she's not underage, first of all. She's exactly my age. And they assaulted her, which leads me to think they, in their mind, just assaulted a minor. Hmm. How is that logical? So that is, is theoretically the lowest hanging fruit. An under 100 pound minor female is what in their head they assaulted at that time. Now we sent our own Sheila Gunn-Reed to that same location a few days ago. We knew that they would come and try and rough her up because they've done it before. So we sent a professional security guard. Um, and because of that, she was okay and our cameraman was okay. Uh, were there any private security or police there? Was there a police car? Did any authority observe this altercation? No, sir. There was no private security and there was, there was no RCMP presence up there. Um, when did this all happen, by the way? When did that video, when was it filmed? It was filmed Monday night at around 7 p.m. All right, so I know for a fact, because I've seen a copy of it, the city has issued an injunction which is basically a way of saying a court, a legal order, a legal order saying, get out, we're going to clear out your shanty town, your slum. Sounds like they're still there. Is that right? Oh, they're clearly still there. I, I hear the deadline was 6 a.m. Saturday morning for them to be vacated the site. And they're clearly still on site. Um, <clears throat> they don't intend to leave. And I think they, they will do whatever they need to to stay. They don't want to leave their site. You know, you have uh, two people, they may be mentally ill, I don't know, you have a, an older man and a, and a middle-aged woman there. I don't think it would be tough to very gently pick them up, put them in the back of a police vehicle, take them to court or whatever. I mean, I don't think, it, like, it doesn't look like these are uh, heavily armed bodybuilders. I think really half a dozen police could come and clear this whole thing up and then you bring in a, you know, a 1-800-got-junk uh, truck to pick up their shanty town. Like, it should not be a logistically difficult thing to do. Other than the lack of political will, there is no one in Burnaby, whether it's a police, prosecutor, politician, or the press, 
willing to go in and fix this problem, is there? I mean, the fact that they're defying the order. Oh, of course oh, I, you know, I, I would like to just, I wouldn't say there's not a police. And I can't speak for the political side there because I don't get involved in Bernabeu politics. But the police officers that came and assisted me in trying to find my license plate and to take the report after the assault, they were interested in the clearing of the of the camp. They didn't seem to want it there. They understood that they have to follow orders from their superiors. Got it. So I'd say it's unfair to say there's not a single police in Burnaby that wants that gone. Thank you there for the question. I accept your point. The beat cops are probably sick of it, but the brass are political. I appreciate that important distinction. Again, that's sort of a boots and suits distinction. The boots, the boots on the ground, the cops on the beat want these hippies and hobos gone, but the political brass are paying attention to what John Horgan, the premier, or Justin Trudeau, the prime minister, have to say. That's my theory. Well, it's probably not an incorrect theory. Hmm. Um, so it, it sounds like you have filed a, a, a police report. You've got the video evidence, or at least partial video evidence. Uh, do you think the police will take any action? Because I think, I'm not sure if what happened to you could be called an assault, maybe. Uh, but it looks like what well, happened to your fiance definitely was. So in the video, um, what happened to me was you can see that I clearly got brushed by that uh, elder and I would never press charges on him for any reason. I can respect him enough to not uh, instigate any further. The young fellow that pushed my fiance also uh, shoved me around too. And uh, at the end of the video, you'll have to pay real good attention, Ezra, but I, I advise that you watch the last 10 seconds of the video. You'll see on the ground there is an aluminum piece of metal that's used to support road signs on construction sites laying on the ground. Mm -hmm. And you'll see it in the video, and then you'll see it get picked up, and then you'll see the shadow of it face facing directly at my body in the video. And the brawny guy who uh, shoved Victoria and also shoved me picked up that piece of aluminum in attempts to joust me back to my car. Hmm. and then followed my fiance back to the car with it. me with your violent present. No, you don't need to do that. Yeah, I do. No, well, that's not necessary. Yeah, you're filming us without consent. You can leave. This is... So, well, oh I'm going to be back. Hey, you! Don't right. touch me! No, you get no, it. Don't touch me! Okay. You guys... It's time to go. It's time to go. It's time to go. I literally came here to take photos. Well, there you go. So, did you give this video evidence to the police? Instantly. The police, uh, they arrived, pulled out their laptop. I plugged my phone into their laptop and we transferred the file. All right. Well, listen, I hope they do something. I got to tell you, uh, I accept your observation that the beat cops, the actual police on the street, want to uphold the law. No one goes to the police academy saying, I want to be a political hack. They want to go uphold the law. Or, and, or saying they want to be a pushover. Yeah. What officer do you know on the ground admits to wanting to be a pushover? Yeah. None of them. They yeah. want to uphold the law. Well, this will be up to the prosecutors who are intensely political, I fear. Well, listen, Andrew, I'm glad you're safe. I'm glad your fiancé is safe, and I'm glad you videoed it. Uh, I'm afraid that, well, we'll have to find out. I do not think that there's a political will to clear these rubby-dubs. They should be gone in an hour, and the pipeline should proceed. But uh, I fear that no one in authority has that courage. I'm glad you do, and congratulations to you and the Boots and Suits team. Yeah, well, I think I think we have the momentum. I think that maybe the political will isn't there, but the issue for eviction has been um, has been made by the city. And I, I maybe I'm a, a bit of an optimist, but I think that this event was the catalyst for people getting involved in doing something. I can't see a reason for the city of Burnaby to keep this going much longer, where it is an actual hazard to safety of the citizens of Burnaby and the residential area of um, Burnaby Mountain. So I, uh, I want to say that something might happen. I'm, I'm very optimistic and forward-looking here. And, you know, the sooner something happens, the sooner we get those shovels in the ground and the sooner those jobs are made. We need to, we need to get our oil workers back to work. Well, you're a young guy. You're working hard. You're in love. You're engaged. Everything's positive and happy to you. I'm old and cynical. I've seen the mayor of Burnaby positively say that he would be a protester, too. So... Uh, you be the young pup, the optimist, I'll be old, the old dog who's a pessimist, and, and maybe, maybe my expectations will be exceeded. I hope you're right, Andrew. I, I just it'll do, I it'll do well for, uh, it'll do well for us if they get out of there. Um, and, you know, I I'm, I'm very happy that, that we got, were able to get on top of this and, and show that this is like it up there, because 
the last thing I want is for some children or anybody going around in that community to be treated unfairly, to be uh, shown racist behavior towards them yeah. or get aggressed yeah. just for being in the area. And I, I had to thank the, uh, the media last night for coming out and asking them what I asked them to say. I just wanted to let the Burnaby RCMP know and the Burnaby uh, city that we need to issue a statement saying that it's unsafe to go up there. And I think they've got the memo. Yeah, great. Well, um, listen, I'm glad you're doing it. Should we go ahead? If I, I, I just wanted to um, bring this up, breaking news. I just got an, an update from my fiance, who's been very active in keeping me up to date while I'm at work. She's at home taking care of the house and I'm here, you know, working and she just sent me a message. Would you mind if I read it to you? Go ahead, yeah. Check out this uh, one guy. I'll, I'll tell you his name. Um, his name is Kelvin Golly. Check out Kelvin Golly's latest tweet. Burnaby is seeking court order to force Camp Cloud to leave. Breaking, I just received that text at 1117 Pacific time. Hmm. Well, I hope, I hope something comes from it, but uh, uh, you know what? I hope you're right, Andrew. I hope I'm wrong. I hope you're optimistic and hope are redeemed and vindicated, and I'm glad you're fighting because uh, we need this pipeline for moral reasons and rule of law reasons, as well as economic That's reasons. what I, rule of law, it's, it's been very important that we, we keep that in mind. It's yeah. the rule of law, and I was very careful I was up there to not step out of the boundaries that the law puts around me, and I think that is why we came across so well in that video, because yeah. we followed the rule of law. Good for you. Um, well, you know what, maybe, Andrew, you're, maybe you're giving me a little bit of hope here, too. I, uh, I'm glad you're picking up the torch and fighting it. I mean, we it's been a long battle, and I'm glad you've got enthusiasm, and, and hopefully you'll have a result. And keep it up and stay safe, okay? Well, yeah, hey, one quick thing for you, Ezra. I just wanted to let, see if I could say this. Um, Suits and Boots, just on behalf of, of the organization, we're fairly new. Uh, you've probably done your research into us since we opened. We only opened up, as our first event was May 26th, the Rally for Resources here oh, in yeah. BC. Right. We're going to be doing a tour. Um, we're going to be going around and we're going to start spreading the word about resource development in BC. We're really trying to, as you said, pick up that torch and walk with it and make sure that people know that there are organizations fighting for the jobs of the oil workers. And well, we're going to be website? going around. What's your website where people can uh, find out more? Suitsandboots.ca. All of our information is there anything that uh, your viewers or listeners are going to want to see on our organization is is all on the website good well i like your style and uh, the fact that you're getting out and organizing uh, keep us posted we'd love to we'd love to uh, stay in touch with you and help spread the word we could maybe even send out an email to our people in the region who might be interested so let's continue this conversation offline but for now thanks for giving us the report and uh, it sounds like you're not done fighting and, and that you're you're my kind of guy thanks for thanks for giving us the news Thanks, Ezra. You have a great day, and uh, stay safe out there. <laughs> yeah, I sure will. Well, there you have it. Andrew Mann, what a good egg, eh? I enjoyed meeting him. I mean, he's, he's the boots part of the Suits and Boots. He's an electrician, joined us from the job site. But he and his fiance went out there to confront the bad guys, and I'm glad they weren't hurt in a serious way. But you saw the lawlessness that's there, and uh, Andrew's hopeful. Maybe I shouldn't be cynical, but I've just been disappointed so many times in the politicians and prosecutors in this country, so we'll see. All right, stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Well, it was about two years ago that I first read something absolutely terrifying written by Eric Schmidt, senior executive at Google. He was writing in the New York Times dreaming about a future, his vision for the future of technology and the internet. And there's one phrase that he used that has stuck with me ever since. He said he wanted to develop a spell check, but for hate. As in, if you had an idea that had the wrong emotion, the wrong feeling, something that you thought were, was hateful or that he thought was hateful, your computer would delete that, auto-correct it, just like if you type in the wrong word, it would fix it for you. Today we see Jack Dorsey, the president of Twitter, talking about ensuring that conversations are healthy, that if you say things that are not healthy, they'll be corrected too. That's bad enough when it comes to ideas and censorship, but what about when it goes one level deeper in the internet? if you were no longer allowed to even process credit cards or 
accept money from your viewers because some far left wing alt left executive like Eric Schmidt or Jack Dorsey says, you have the wrong feelings, your conversations are not healthy enough. Well, a man who follows his beat more closely than anyone else in the world is our friend Alan Bokhari. He is the Breitbart News Senior Technology Correspondent, and he joins us now via Skype. Alan, great to see you again. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Ezra. Good to be here. You know, I've just read your very comprehensive report called Stripe, PayPal, Patreon. The right is being banned from online fundraising. Not just fundraising, any sort of commerce at all. Tell me, I mean, I think most of our viewers are familiar with PayPal because that's what we use here at The Rebel. We use Stripe as well. Patreon, I think we've heard of it, a lot of our viewers, it's, it's what uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson uses. But between those three companies, um, they pretty much dominate online commerce the same way Google dominates search, am I right? More or less, so there are two levels of uh, online fundraising. There are these uh, crowdfunding platforms, which are essentially um, uh, like fundraising, fundraising online, so in the same way that uh, in the past you would like go around with a tin and collect donations. Uh, uh, Patreon is a bit like that, and uh, there are also other sites like GoFundMe and Kickstarter where people are allowed to uh, create campaigns, create causes, and allow people to donate to them. You can also uh, develop an income through, income stream through Patreon. This is what Jordan Peterson does. It's what um, uh, many figures on the right do. Uh, many YouTubers, like of Cad, uh, Lauren Southern used to have a Patreon before she got banned. Uh, Brittany Pettipan also got banned from Patreon. It's it's a way for people, because so much of, of uh, content on the internet is free, you know, whether it's making YouTube videos or um, or writing articles, one of the ways independent commentators support themselves is by allowing their, their fans and their followers to contribute to them on a monthly basis uh, via platforms like Patreon. And that, uh, that essentially is their income, it's their livelihood. Uh, the problem, of course, is that these platforms, uh, especially Patreon increasingly, uh, much like Twitter and Facebook run by uh, people who are pretty politically biased and they enforce their rules in an uneven manner. And uh, in my article, I looked at uh, two or three examples where uh, right-wing YouTubers have been banned from Patreon. Uh, Brittany Pettibon was the most recent. Uh, they banned her for supporting a group called uh, Defend Europe. Um, and, they, uh, and Patreon argued that this group was a, uh, a violent organization, even though the group specifically disavows violence. They never encouraged by them, so engaged by them, as far as I can tell. Well, uh, but they use that excuse and they banter anyway. See, there's some websites, like we use Indiegogo sometimes, uh, that's a crowdfunding website, but there's a, a deeper level too. I mean, uh, just any sort of credit card transaction service, not even, I mean, Patreon is, is more than just a credit card facility. It's, it's a system. You can put videos up, you can build lists, so it's a whole one-stop shop. But at an infrastructure level deeper than that, this would really be like Visa or MasterCard saying, we don't like what you're doing, so we're going to ban you from using Visa or MasterCard. Is, is, it, is that the analogy, Alan? Basically, yes. And it actually, it's, the, the problem is it's all interconnected. So platforms like Patreon and Kickstarter rely on technologies like, um, like, like, a, like PayPal and Stripe, which process payments. Uh, through credit cards like Visa and um, and Mastercard. So uh, if Visa and Mastercard decide to uh, to cut you off, then um, then you won't be able to use PayPal or Stripe anyway. And if equally, if Visa and Mastercard go to or a, or a bank like Wells Fargo go to uh, companies like um, PayPal or Stripe, or, or who will then go to uh, uh, companies like Patreon and Kickstarter who rely on their services and say, well, you can't allow this person. It, it creates kind of chain reaction. So. Um, so I'd, I'd say Patreon. Patreon's like the third level. Then there's then there's processes like payment like uh, PayPal and Stripe, and then there's banks and credit cards. Um, so at, at the very and and banks and credit cards have been known to cut off people for political reasons, and it's not just people on the right either. This goes all the way back to 2011 and um, and WikiLeaks. Uh, in 2011, uh, first PayPal cut off service to to Julian Assange and WikiLeaks, and then Mastercard and Visa followed suit. So this, is, this has been happening for a long time. It's been happening to anyone who's considered uh, uh, beyond the pale by the establishment, as Julian Assange was in 2011, probably still is. Um, so it, it, it's, it's not even just the right, although the right are being particularly affected right now. And actually, that's why the Electronic Frontier Foundation, um, which is a liberal group, they advocate for liberal causes like, uh, like Obama's net neutrality regulations. They're concerned by this too. They say that uh, 
banks and payment processes are becoming de facto internet sensors. Well, that's um, the thing. I mean, the, I mean, anyone who's opened up a, an account with, um, let's say, a law firm. I mean, we, we were doing business in the UK. We just worked with a new law firm to help Tommy Robinson. Our viewers know that. When you open a new account with a law firm, they have lots of anti-money laundering rules and know your client rules. So we had to prove, we had to send them our corporate, uh, our incorporation documents. We had to prove we were legit because they wanted to make sure we weren't money laundering drug money or other proceeds of crime. So I get it. That was not an ideological test. It was to make sure we weren't criminals. And I was fine with that and, and we do that all the time. The names you've named, Brittany Pettibone, I think our former reporter, Faith Goldie, was just cut off by PayPal, too. She was cut off and by PayPal, yes. I, I mean, I know Faith pretty well, and, and putting aside whatever political comments people might have, she's never committed a crime in her life. She, she, she wouldn't hurt a mouse. I mean, that's what... I accept banks and other, you know, a credit card facility, whatever, checking against crime or terrorism, you know, for example. Uh, but Brittany, Pettibone, Faith, Goldie, they're not even, uh, they're not even five degrees of separation from crime. That's what scares me, is this is pure politics. And if they can do that to Faith, they can do that to me, they can do that to you, and pretty soon you won't be able to open a bank account at all. By the way, we. Uh, Rebel UK was not, uh, no bank would open an account for us when Tommy Robinson worked for us. What do you make of that, Alan? Really? Wow. Wow, that, 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 that's big news in itself, frankly. I mean, uh, it, it, the way the banks operate is pretty insidious now. I mean, they're, they're uh, uh, if you look at what they're doing in terms of uh, gun control, they're now in, in America. Yeah, they're refusing to work with businesses that don't meet a range of progressive uh, demands on gun control, like you know the sale of bump stocks and high-capacity magazines. You know, so uh, so now businesses that do, that uh, are operating legally in the U.S., you know, within the line with the Second Amendment, they uh, they can't work with some of these big banks. Uh, so the way the way that the uh, financial institutions being operated at the moment is kind of a, a way to bypass democracy and bypass constitutions because it's essentially a few executives making a decision to, to cut people out of the economic system altogether. Hmm. You know, it's, and it's, it's done when, when it's done through the government, like these money laundering rules I've mentioned that, and, and obviously we comply with those. We have a, you know, we're, we're a legitimate company. We, we have no problem with those rules. That's imposed by the government. But the kind of censorship you have described, and by the way, let's put it up on the screen so our viewers can take a look at it once more time. The, the essay is called Stripe, PayPal, Patreon. The right is being banned from online fundraising. It's an article in Breitbart.com. Um, that is not a governmental decision. And so you don't have the checks and balances. When the rules are passed, they're scrutinized in a the legislature. They may be subject to public comment and committee and amendments and votes. So there's a transparency in what the rules are in the first place. And then how the rules are applied, there's the checks and balances in whatever legal procedure is there. I mean, even if you're having a fight, let's say, with Revenue Canada or the IRS, there's checks and balances. You have certain rights and, and appeals. But when you're shut down by a credit card company, PayPal, Patreon, Stripe, there's no process. They just announce it to you. And you can go pound sand. And if you look at your terms of service, they're written in a way that you really have no rights. They say, take your business elsewhere. I'm, my terror, my great fear, Alan, is that the censorship of the 21st century will not be done by governments. It'll be done by crony capitalists in league with governments to whom censorship is outsourced as, and there's a quid pro quo favor. PayPal, Stripe, Patreon, Facebook, YouTube, Google will do the censorship for politicians and in return, they may get favors, whether it's tax treatment or immunity from other things. That's terrifying because it is one big black box. What do you think of that? Uh, I, I totally agree. I, I think the trend now is is for the left to use corporation. I mean, it's interesting because anyhow, the left used to be so anti-corporation and anti-capitalist, but now corporations are the great ally of the left. They're using them to enact their policies without without winning any any form of elections. Uh, you mentioned uh, that they'll uh, that they'll tell you to take their business elsewhere and you know that's, that's the interesting thing a lot, a lot of free market libertarians would also say well just build a competitor to patreon if you don't like what they're doing but that's exactly what people have done uh, Lauren Southern made her own uh, her own fundraising system when she was banned from patreon 
um, and uh, Trump Johnson made his competitor. And there was another com- uh, competing service called Maker Support, which was made for uh, made as a sort of politically neutral alternative to Patreon. And what happened was they uh, they uh, Stripe the uh, the payments process uh, uh, initially agreed to do business with them, then cut up cut up support entirely. So it's it's not even possible to build a competitor. Uh, you, you can't keep competing services, and you know that that goes beyond uh, beyond crowdfunding platforms. Just uh, any platform, if you can't raise money on the internet, uh, uh, how are you going to build? How are you going to build uh, these these competing services? Yeah, you know, and, and we learned a little bit about that about a year ago when our DNS uh, um, server. Uh, I didn't even know what that was. I still don't even really know what that was. That's some deep part of internet structure uh, infrastructure just gave us one day's notice. No explanation, no reason whatsoever. They said, uh, we're kicking you off in one day, find another DNS server. And, um, you know, I... Yeah, I, the thing is, if, you, if you can't find another DNS service, you're effectively banned from the entire internet. Yeah, and, 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 and what's a DNS problem. server? And I mean, I had never dealt with them. They were, there's, so, there's so many deep levels of the uh, internet that I, I know what you're talking about, Lauren Southern and Chuck Johnson. They tried to set up alternatives, but there was always some utility-style backbone that they had to deal with, and there's so few of those. In some cases, uh, they, I mean, they truly have a monopoly. You can't set up your own. I got a question for you today. And literally, even if you set up, a, even if you set up a competitor to uh, to PayPal or Stripe, which are the processes, the second level. You then have to deal with Visa and Mastercard, who have already who have cut off uh, political, who've, who've cut off support to people like Julian Assange in the past. So there's, there's always one more level you have of gatekeeping you have to go through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose you could set up a bank itself, but that too could right. be subject to boycotts. So people would refuse to trade with it. Uh, I mean, it really is like you're facing economic sanctions, but they're not passed by a country. They're passed by this oligopoly. These these plutocrats of the left are it's as if they're putting economic sanctions on their enemies I want to ask you because I saw a tiny flicker of hope today and we'll put up Trump's tweet this morning we were talking about Jack Dorsey the hard left-wing activist of Twitter and I'm, I'm not using that as an insult I'm observing he he's a big supporter of the violent uh, street group called Black Lives Matter he has uh, you know he's a, a republished approvingly uh, documents calling for the censorship of the right. It's, he's a real extremist. Um, and just in the past few days, he's been talking about healthy public conversations and that he himself will be in charge of that. I see today, no one less than Twitter user number one, Donald J. Trump, tweeted that Twitter's censorship of conservatives is outrageous and it must end. And we'll show that tweet on the screen. So he says he's going to do something about it, or he might do something about it, or he must do something about it. Do you believe that Donald Trump will actually uh, try to make the internet neutral in terms of its partisanship? Do you think he will actually be a trust buster like Teddy Roosevelt was to the oil companies a century ago? Do you think Donald Trump might bust up these internet trusts too? Well, I'd certainly hope so. Uh, the problem is he doesn't have a lot of time. We've got like two or three months before the uh, the midterm elections, and uh, I, I don't think you can bring in regulation uh, and, and new legislation and so so quickly and get past all the free market uh, ideologues in the Republican Party before the election. So if if, uh, if the tech companies want to you know tip the scales for the upcoming election, I think uh, they're probably going to be able to uh, to do it. And there's not much uh, the com- be done to stop them, I think, uh, after the election and uh, looking at the results of the election and um, how social media plays into that, uh, I think we'll see a, probably start to see a lot more pressure. But I, th- I certainly think, but Donald Trump's tweet was, you know, very positive, and I th- certainly think that the Republicans, uh, if they want to uh, compete on a level playing field on the internet, they're going to have to get past this fear of regulating private businesses because, uh, you know, these monopolies have grown such a, have accumulated such a vast amount of power over the political process uh, and such a vast amount of power to curtail, you know, First Amendment rights and Second Amendment rights for ordinary Americans. Uh, it, it's, it's going to come down to regulation, I think, and I think Republicans will have to get over their, their, uh, their, their misgivings about that. Yeah. As I always say, if Donald Trump doesn't bust up these tech titans, they'll bust him up. I think it's a race. Uh, Alan, it's great to see you again. Thanks very much for spending the time with us. All right. 
Well, we'll keep in touch for sure. The most important beat in the world, I put it to you, is the political activities of the internet giants. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Hey, welcome back. Your viewer feedback on my monologue yesterday about ISIS claiming responsibility for the Toronto shooter. Billy writes, I hadn't heard until Manny told the story of Juliana's father being rushed to Children's Hospital to hold her dying hand. It brought a tear to my eye. That would have been the lead story on the MSM had it been, say, a stray bullet from a gang fight or a hunting accident. It's sad when you realize tragic, heartfelt stories like this come second to the narrative. You are so absolutely right. Peter writes, one has to wonder why there is a segment of Western nations that is desperate, even frantically desperate, to deny any Islamic connection to the many terror attacks. What is their motive? Well, not just that, but to turn evil into good. I see the National Post public, published an op-ed by Terry Glavin who says, we should rally around the parents of Faisal Hussein. The National Post published an op-ed saying, we all have to get together and support the terrorist parents. What? What? And by the way, they're awful parents. Uh, besides having a terrorist as a son, their other son is a drug dealer who's actually in a coma right now for a drug overdose. And if the report I read this morning was accurate, that's where Faisal got the gun from. Don't tell me the, pa the parents didn't know what was going on in the family. Um, yes, yeah, sorry, uh, National Post. I used to know you. I used to work for you. Uh, no, I, I don't support this family, not one bit. They're, they're a terrorist family. Frankly, I think they should be deported if it's possible. Paul writes, that demented high school teacher is the face of leftist insanity. You're talking about when our own David Menzies went to Danforth to interview people. And I don't know if you saw the whole video. You can watch all eight minutes of it on YouTube. It's a viral video. Almost 100,000 people have watched it already. David just goes there very gently to talk to people about how great the Danforth is and what they think of the neighborhood. And this crazed high school teacher comes forward and starts shouting at David and calling him a fascist and a racist. And David just kept really calm the whole time. It was quite, it was quite a telling thing. Unbelievable. And da you know what? I was so impressed with David just staying calm despite this crazy woman being shouting, shouting at him for 10 minutes. When she boasted that she's a high school student and that how, that's how she rolls in high school, I thought, absolutely, she, I believe her. Because in Toronto and in many schools across North America, frankly, teachers have become weaponized and politicized and they use their classrooms as political petri dishes. That's just awful. Well, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night and keep fighting for freedom. Thank you.